Hello and welcome to Funny Business, the best podcast on the internet. On today's episode, it's a very special one because we got Matt Perot or Parrot. I'm not too sure how to say it and I feel embarrassed now, but I've tried and I don't know if I fucked it up. I probably should ask him on the pod, but uh, it's a really good episode. You're going to love him because he's the co-founder and he's the CEO at BuildPass. Uh, they're doing some cool stuff in the construction industry and the tech industry. So uh, I feel like you're going to dig it. He's a down-to-earth dude. I like the cut of his jib. I like the way he does things. Uh, enjoy. King of intros. Let's go. Matt, thank you so much for jumping on the best podcast on the internet, Funny Business Podcast. Uh, for those at home listening, I don't know, lot goes, before we start this podcast, say we're the best podcast in the world. I was like, all right. Well, Matt. no one else does, so we've got to pump ourselves up. But know? Matt, hey, for those at home listening, tell us who are you and what do you do? Yeah, my name is Matt and I am the co-founder and CEO of Build Pass. Mate, and you're a bit under the weather, so we do appreciate you coming on. We've got you got your tea, you look all rugged up and cozy and warm. I feel like that heat is ramped right up. Are you feeling okay? Yeah, no, I'm feeling good. Like we're just saying, I'm coming off the back of it, just can't quite shake it. So feeling good. Um, but if I have to cough my lungs up, then I apologize. Well, mate, I feel like this is one of those episodes where uh, with the funny business pod, we've got to talk to a lot of people from that do all lots of different things across industries and for us, like construction and technology and pathway into that, like my background being at Property Exchange Australia, I understand, say, like the prop tech, but keen to get into the other side of things, which is on site, on build. How does actually, how did that start for you? Yeah. So I don't actually have much of a construction background. Um, so it was probably a weird choice of me to get into this space. My construction experience is limited to laboring on construction sites for a little bit. Um, I did study a little bit of civil engineering, uh, but other than that, no next to nothing. So really this came from having a lot of mates in the industry and just lots of complaints about the tools they were using, um, you know, Friday night beers, uh, the things that would, had happened that week. Um, and so I started digging into it and learned a lot about the industry and it kind of all just evolved from there. I feel like, Locke, that's not a job that you wouldn't have been a very good labourer. No, I was a very good labourer. I think since I was 10, I was on the, I was on the tools. I, just, I, was, I, was, I, was, I was cleaning bricks, you know, for $5 an hour, and I was just grateful. There's no calluses on Locke's hand now. Because <laughs> no, I've done all the hard work early, child labour, you know, but I was very good <laughs> at taking orders and, like, you want that mattress, lift up them stairs, I'll do it. <laughs> all right. <laughs> enough about you, mate. Enough about you. Hey, but let's, let's rewind back a little bit, like, being a founder and doing this stuff, is this something, like, growing up, what were you into? What did you think your career path was going to be? Yeah, so I did think I was going to be an engineer. Um, I always liked driving over the Westgate Bridge and looking at the city and going, I want to build one of them. Um, so engineer, I was okay at maths, so that seemed like a good path. Um, being a founder, look, I, I did try to start a few businesses. They all failed um, from when first time I left school to uni, tried a few different businesses. So look, I didn't really, you know, it wasn't a path that I had set upon, um, but kind of, yeah, just figured it out. What, what type of businesses were they? So my my first one that I started, and this is really random, it was a, um, it was an ocean swimming business where I would teach people to do better in ocean swims because I was quite a swimmer myself. Um, but also I was a lifeguard um, down at some of the, you know, larger beaches on the peninsula and so it was about keeping people safe in the water as well it was called rip safe you can go google there's probably still a facebook page up so i just take people out into rips and stuff and make sure they didn't drown 
I feel like that's oh. one of those things. We we did this we did the stalk ready for this chat and saw that you're into the water polo, did the lifeguarding. Castle I feel like half hairy chest, bronzed up. Did the Beautiful. swimming thing just so we could walk around the dick top. So <laughs> I'm here to teach you how to swim. Oh, I've got a very embarrassing photo that I hope is not still on Facebook somewhere. I haven't checked of the rip safe uh dick togs. So um yeah, oh. don't go searching for that. I love that though. I feel like a lot of people like growing up, um, life saving and so being around the ocean and stuff was big in my family. Like my mum did her bronze was one of the first people at Fairhaven Surf Life Saving Club. So on the opposite uh, opposite side, I think she was uh, first female member, one of the first female members to get her, her bronze back in. I didn't what, know that, Kathy. Yeah, back in was when it? there was color black and white TV and stuff like that. Yeah. So she's back there doing. I don't know. She's not that old. She'll like. I feel like it's. Um, would love to get dig in about like what that sort of stuff meant for you, like doing, being around the ocean, doing lifeguarding stuff. I feel like Stunning when you talk to people who have been mm-hmm. in that space, it's, I feel like it's a real values type uh, yeah, operation. sport. Like you people watch Bondi Rescue, but they don't really understand if unless you've sort of lived it. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think there's a, a couple of things to it. Like, I mean, you look at, yeah, you look at Bondi Rescue and it's all sort of um, very dramatic, but like you do have a responsibility. You're getting paid to sit there and make sure people don't drown. Um, and they teach you a, a lot of things about being very vigilant. And I think it's it was a lot of responsibility to take on as a 17-year-old. Um, if you've got, you know, 500 people down at the beach to be directing people and knowing that if someone gets into trouble, you're getting paid to go and get them out. So I think lifeguarding can certainly bring a whole lot of responsibility onto people earlier in life. And the same thing happens with if you volunteer at a life-saving club. Um, like I was uh, club captain for a while at mine, and we had a you know a committee that I ran of 12 people. There was 80 subcommittee members that I was technically responsible for, and this is all at the age of 21. So I really like that space because, you know, if you go just into the you know, professional services or something, you might join at 21 and just be the bottom of the rung and have no responsibility and have to work your way into a position where you're managing people. Um, but with, with lifeguarding or being involved in a life-saving club, you get that responsibility really, really early. So I think that has certainly helped shape my path a little bit. Hey, one of the, one of the big shout out if, he, if he's listening to, to Kate Eckstein. Oh, yeah. Hey, the main man, prior podcast, Guinness yeah. World Record holder for most chin-ups of all time. Yeah, but pushing his body to the limit. The ultimate surf lifesaver. I love that. So what so what else was there? So you you had the rip safe and then what was next after that? The next failed business was at uni. And this is um probably similar to your story in just trying to find friends. Um, but I started a tech business that was about facilitating spontaneous social catch-ups at uni. So I was getting sick of like just going to uni and being like, I know I've got mates here somewhere and I know I shouldn't be eating lunch by myself. Um, so the whole idea was to faci- facilitate those catch-ups. Everyone log into an app and will tell you who's around to get lunch with them, basically. Um, I learned pretty quickly that if you don't know tech and you've got no money, it's pretty hard to run a, a tech business. Um, so, look, heaps of learnings from that, but, yeah, it certainly was a, a massive failure. What about like just the the whole concept of experiment experimentation and like tinkering around with ideas and having a crack? Is that something that uh, like your family has been are you different to people you've grown up with? Is it something that you look and have inspirations around you that you've drawn where that comes from? Oh, good question. Thanks, mate. Yeah, probably <laughs> best. Um, so as far as my family goes, mum and dad have followed a pretty traditional path. Dad was an, an engineer. 
um, then went into the, the dairy industry. Mum was a lawyer. Um, I get the sense that mum especially always wanted to do her own business but never took the plunge. Um, but both of them have always been very supportive of my random attempts at businesses. Um, so, yeah, I think having a, a really good uh, upbringing at home and people who do support you in you know, what you wanted to do is super important for sure. So you mentioned you wanted to be an engineer, then you got into software development. Is that right? Yeah. So it was actually, it was coming off the back of um, Juffle was the name of the, the social catch-up business. Um, but coming off the back of that, I was like, I actually really enjoyed that experience. Um, and I've got two options. I either get really good at trying to sell myself and connecting with software engineers and trying to get them to work with me, or I go and learn to do it myself. So I switched from civil engineering into software engineering and I just went to start learning that myself um and yeah it was like it was a massive learning curve um it was very different to civil engineering it kind of felt you know like I was a bit of an odd one out you know when you join something like that and you feel like people have been doing it since they were kids the stereotypical coder who's you know a gifted natural has been doing it since they were 12 years old there was certainly lots of them um so I think a bit of imposter syndrome signing up for that course. And this is going back, I guess, six years ago now. Um, you know, software engineering wasn't quite as popular as it is now. So um, yeah, that was a big, it was a big switch, like a big change in my life. But I'm so glad that I did it and kind of just slowly worked my way into startups by offering to work for free and um kind of, you know, getting into some larger companies after that. What about from like a learning perspective, taking on like making that decision to switch. Can you go through maybe like your process for someone who wanted to, did your, was your brain wired that way? Like take on this sort of stuff, feel like, you know, like all the things that are popping up now, like with like the ability to do things like with no code and everyone's saying like, I, I, my, our feeling is like people who are really expertise, technically, whatever tools and stuff comes out, it's just going to make them even better. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's yeah. like, it's not going to replace them. It's going to make smart people smarter. Yeah, there's like there's so many good um like the barrier to entry in tech now is so low. It's a it's an amazing time to be to have an interest in doing something in tech because that barrier has gone down a lot. So I think there's kind of like two parts you can go. You can go down deep technical and go university, learn everything. If you want to understand like what's going on in a computer chip and how it reads binary and you want to build that fundamental understanding of software from the ground up they definitely go down that path. But I think there's probably going to be fewer people who go down that path and more that say, I'm interested in, te in technology, um, but there's so many free courses online and so many tools that I can use without having to learn to code to get a lot of the benefit that you do of going um, and studying a, a master's in software engineering like I, like I did. So um, I, that barrier to entry being so low, I think is a really exciting prospect. Are you constantly looking at what's happening, like the, the future sort of trends and, and stuff like that? Like how how often are you in the day-to-day the -day stuff compared to the futuristic thinking? Yeah, this is a really good point. And it's actually something that I've noticed I've gotten worse at over the last 12 months. Um, like, so our business has been going for a couple of years. And I think when things heat up and get really busy, you kind of lose that uh view of the future a bit, which you have when you're less busy and you have more time to think. And so it's something that I'm deliberately trying to do 
now is dedicating time in the day just to think and to read and to see what other people are doing and um, grow myself rather than just be, you know, spinning the wheels in our own business. So, look, it is something that I do a bit of, um, but have noticed it, you know, it dropped off over the last year and I'm trying to be much more forward thinking because, um, yeah, that's super important in, in a business like ours. We talk about that all the time, like scheduling time out, like put the footy socks on and slide across the, the floorboards, you know what I mean? Put some music on and because you can get so like we felt like you're spinning the wheels, you can get so jaded and everything's just like fucking the next day after the next. And like we were like, what do we even like anymore? Like we need to start consuming stuff, mm -hmm. like start being curious in different ways. Like so you can take inspiration. Yeah. You, you yeah. haven't had a midday bath for a while. I'm starting to feel a bit Yeah, you can worry, put some bath bombs in, mate. Relax a bit more. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I do, yeah, but talking of of like trends and like keeping up to date with stuff and how has your life, like a regular week, changed now as the business changes? You know, as you go as you're scaling, making as stuff's as happening, you go, yeah. like as you mentioned, mm -hmm. it's hard to juggle stuff. What's changed and what what are, what are the challenges and benefits and all those sort of good stuff? Yeah, I think like the, the typical thing that people go through in scaling a business, and I'm the same, is you go from being a doer to more of a manager. And it's sometimes hard to let go of that um, and to shift the mindset of, no, I shouldn't go and do that right now. That's actually not the best use of my time. It'd be better for me to go chat with someone on the team who we've hired to do that that role and to spend more time with them and to develop them. Um, and so I think that's probably been one of the biggest learnings for me over the last couple of years is to shift the, the doer mindset into more of a, you know, team player management mindset. And like in a startup, it's still hard because there's so many things to do. So you've got to figure out what do you, what do you just do yourself versus uh, getting someone involved from the team to do, but it's a really difficult shift to make. Oh, I found it hard with when we were scaling and stuff. It's just, it's a different set of skills, isn't it? It's like, yeah, it's one thing to plan out your day, but it's another one to plan out other people's weeks and months. And this is what you're on. And you're so invested in the in the person as well. Well, this is expect, aligning expectations yeah. and reality and time it takes to onboard and upskill and train and all those other things that you're talking about, especially if you're someone who, I feel like startups and we talk about a bunch of people that we talk to around this is like, like you said, you go, 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 go. You're doing whatever you need to do to get the thing done. You're putting out fires, you're making shit happen. And then it's, you can't, not everyone can also work at that same pace or should be expected to be able to do that. And that stepping back thing, is that is that sort of what you're talking about? Yeah, definitely. And like, it's a tricky balance to manage because the competitive advantage that a startup has is the fact that we can move really fast. That's how you can disrupt the incumbents, right? So you don't want to um, lose that and just put too many systems in place and slow slow down completely because um, you lose that competitive advantage. So it's about finding the balance between being flexible and fluid and dynamic and fast paced, but also sustainable. And um, I think every day that goes past in a startup is one more day that you've lived. Um, it's, you know, a, you've feel slightly less risky and you can feel like you can spend a little bit more time thinking about the future and going, what, is, what do we look like in five years? Because we're not so worried about um, running out of money in the next five days, for example. So um, I think as you kind of keep making those steps forward, you can afford to spend more time investing in the long-term uh, you know, growth prospects for the company. I feel like that that even in class gaps, you know what I mean? When people are struggling, they can't think about anything besides working to get the next thing. It's like to get to the level up, you don't really have that time because you're always in 
desperate mode. You know? Startups, it's almost, if you use that lifeguard analogy, they're treading water, their hand in the air, but they're sort of waving you away because they're sort of semi-okay. They think mm-hmm. they're all good and then they're under. You know, yeah, it's yeah. like, it's, it's, it's wild. I feel like what are some of the things, maybe your key learnings or difference now over the last few years since kicking this off from maybe like day one to now? Mm. I think learning to prioritise is really, really hard. And so at the start, you basically say yes to everything um, because anything could be an opportunity and you really have no idea what uh, who your customer is, what your product is going to be. You can have all the grandest visions in the world, but you, you, the only way to, to learn is to by doing. And so I think in the very early days, saying yes to a lot of things is really important. Um, but pretty quickly, you'll learn if you keep doing that, you'll your business will become a chaotic mess and you won't have any strategy and saying no to things is quite hard, but it becomes more valuable. So that's probably been my biggest thing that I continue to work on personally is how do we prioritize? How do we rally the team around um, a a vision that is clear? And how do we accept that we're going to have to say no to some things in order to do the things that we're doing really well? Um, and I'm certainly not an expert at it, which my team will be the first people to tell you, but hopefully um, I'm growing in that space. I will take us back. How did, so build pass idea comes up. How did it become real? You know, how did it go mm. from let's think about doing this thing to there it is. It's, it's, We're it's solving fun. this problem. I'm doing it with these people. Yeah, cool. So um, as soon as I'll take you back just before starting. So I was working at REA Group um, as a software developer there um, who do realestate.com.au. Um, and when COVID hit, we all got really bored. And I don't know if you guys remember, but at that time, all of these businesses were pivoting. Like it was like cafes were doing, you know, uh, becoming supermarkets or vice versa. And everyone was like doing some kind of pivot to stay open, to keep trading. And so me and my boss at the time decided, let's build a platform so these local businesses can advertise the pivots they're doing and people can go in and see it rather than um, having to find them on Facebook or whatever it might be. And because everyone was bored, heaps of people jumped on that until all of a sudden we had a team of 12 people working on this project and it was all going really well. Um, And so we did that for like about six months and we started opening up and there was no need for that product anymore. And at the end of it, me and Aaron, who's now my business partner and used to be boss, said, hey, that was like, that was really fun. Like we worked quite well together doing that outside of the relationship of you being my boss and just a corporate um, scenario. And uh, he said, look, I know you've always wanted to do startups. That's why you've joined REA just to uh, get all of the knowledge and create networks and go off and do your own thing, which was the truth. Um, and he said, when you when you do it, let me know. I want to I want to know. And so when the construction idea came up, I basically explained the idea to him in 10 minutes and he said, I'm in. Um, so we started doing that. We were lucky that we didn't have to raise any money to build the first product because we could do it ourselves. So we basically built most of the product between the hours of 5am and 7am or 7pm and midnight. Um, when we got some some customers, we said we probably can't have full-time jobs while there's people on construction sites using our software and calling us and things breaking. Um, and that was when it was time to, to go all in on it. Oh, I love that. So do you do you still have a bit of a power play now? Does he make you call your boss and stuff like that? Or like what's the go there? <laughs> nah, luckily there's none of that. Um, I think there was in the early days. There's a little bit of that. Uh, but we've also, you know, hired people 
out of out of REA and he he then moved to seek um and so it's been um it's been good to to bring some of that really awesome talent from from great organizations into our business how do you set up the the structure and that as you go like are you how do you setting up the weeks i'm sure each week's different with startups you know you're just sort of making it up as you go but like when you're hiring the people and bringing them on board like what was the sort of sequence of that yeah you basically need to figure out one how much money do you have to spend and what is most important to our business right now and so they say in the start you want to hire for generalists not specialists and that is so true so our first employee who's james he's probably one of the most talented software engineers that um that aaron and i knew but he wasn't just building he wasn't just writing code at the start like he was helping with customer stuff and support and we all just did a little bit of, of everything so i think you've got to focus on um cultural fits so finding people who are going to be okay in the pace of a startup with the ambiguity of a startup as well um but from there, you just need to figure out, okay, what do we need next in the business? What's going to be most impactful? Um, and it kind of evolves as you go along your journey. It must have been cool too, being, being an REA group who really are like the OGs of uh, tech startup and innovation. And even though I, I can hate saying innovation, but, you know, like the way, d- doing new ways of working, doing things differently, really being like a first mover. They're obviously a lot bigger than they were back in the day there, but the experience of seeing how that moves at the scale it is now compared to like you guys talking about having a small and nimble team that can really adapt and that's your competitive advantage. Like what is it about startups that you really think that you thrive in? Mm, yeah. Now, REA, we have taken so many insights from REA, everything from um, the technology they were using and setting up, um, some of the rituals that they would have and mm. the general culture that they'd set up at that that business, um, you know, heaps of things that we could we could bring over from REA and and learn from but it still is very different we also completely discarded the things that we thought were a waste of time when we were working there um so really lucky to to have that background even um REA did hack days which was like three days the company could go and just you know do whatever they like we still do that at build pass um it's on a slightly smaller scale um but we've definitely taken heaps of learnings from that business um and but I think it's about just making sure that you are you're taking examples from people who've done things before and best practice, but not just copying. Like I mean, you've got to make it work for yourself um, and really have that fundamental understanding of what you're trying to achieve and what makes sense for your business, your culture, your team. Well, let's get into cons- some construction stuff then. I feel like building software. Talk sexy. Let's talk, yeah, let's talk, let's talk sexy. Let's yeah, talk construction. Yeah. Like, Getting customers, different thing, like maybe like pre-COVID, maybe had a different mindset towards tech, and I'm sure they had to adopt a lot of different stuff post-COVID too, but keen to get into what's it like working in in that particular industry, how has it been perceived, how have you gone about getting people to use your stuff and spreading the gospel of all the cool stuff you're doing? Yeah, so construction is a very obviously hands-on industry. Um, People like face-to-face interactions they are always on the phone um rarely reading emails and things like construction is just so high paced um that everything needs to be quick and easy so what we tried to do was take some of the learnings from you know building an app like realestate.com.au that's just super easy to use and anyone can pick up and use it we want to do the same thing for construction it shouldn't need 
any training to use our software. They should just be able to pick it up and it feels more like TikTok than it does an Excel spreadsheet. So um, I think the probably the biggest learnings for us has been making sure that everything is super simple and user-friendly for it's a very fast-paced industry. They don't want their time to be wasted. But also we get a lot of value from doing in-person events, going and visiting customers and doing site visits, actually getting on the road. And we, we, um, we've we got a, a youth that's wrapped obnoxiously with our branding and we go out on site and do barbecues with customers because that's like where the real impact is. Um, and we, we don't want to lose that as we scale because, yeah, I think that's probably one of the biggest insights we have from this industry. I feel oh, like you, you can't had- lose touch with the with the common people. You know what I mean. You can't lose touch with can't. Like, you'd be there with his, you'd, you'd be there with his hard hat and his high vis vest and his his brand new boots would be perfectly no. clean, not a sparkle on him. Go, what's up, boys? What's what's <laughs> one of you all working hard today? Or we, what? We've actually got a friend who's like that, don't we? We he have wears, a friend he who the... he puts the construction gear on, even though he doesn't work construction because he wants to. I think he's trying to get in the calendar. I'm like, bro, that's the fireys. You know. Yeah, he's trying to yeah, just yeah, to peel yeah. off and get and get yeah. that thing, but. I got nothing besides just trying to throw him under the bus there. <laughs> no, but I, I, construction though, like I love the old school methods. It's like deeper connections, and a lot of the stuff that we do is like remote and online and and all that sort of good stuff. But at the end of the day, the gold is is doing doing the dirty work and and going out there and actually being with the people, eh? Yeah, hundred percent. It's the best way to get feedback as well. Like, um, no one's going to submit a feedback survey survey in construction. You got to go out there and just hear it from them first and. Even things um, like being on the phone. So now that we're starting to kind of grow the business and looking at it and how we do that, things like you know outbound emails never going to work. I don't think I've had a single person respond to an outbound email. But picking up the phone and having a chat with someone about the industry is the best way to do it. So we've got a sales team that does outbound calling, and I don't know about you guys, but any time that I've picked up a you know a random sales call, you, you sort of get a bit pissed off that someone's interrupting your day. But in the construction industry, people are very receptive to it. They used to be on the phone all day. And as long as you're not being a dick about it, um, they're really you know open to it. And that's where we're getting a lot of our business from. What about you personally putting yourself outside your comfort zone? Like I know for me, phone calls aren't massive. I'm just like, fuck, you can't really worm out of phone calls. And it's just like, <laughs> it's, it's a bit hard. But like, I know for a fact that going on the phone sometimes with certain people, like you said, is, is definitely beneficial. Like how do you go about pushing yourself outside your comfort zone yeah i think you've just gotta do it like if you've got a um vision for what you want to do as a business and you think that something might work then that's what drives you to do it so i wasn't very comfortable doing it but i did all of the initial outbound sales um and so picking up the phone the first call you completely mess it up and you go very red in the face and you reset and you try again. The next call, you still mess it up. You go a little bit less red. And by the end of the day, you're nailing them. Like that's literally how quick it is to get comfortable in doing say outbound calling. So yeah, you just got to do it and back yourself. And also I think not overthink things like if you're out there with nothing to lose, um, like, you know, what's going to happen? Someone hangs up on you. What does that mean? It doesn't matter. You move on to the next person. It's a big, bad world out there. There's millions of people who work in construction. So um, I think just getting over that mental mindset of, you know, it's embarrassing or someone is going to not like me if I if I do this, you just put yourself out there and you do it. I like that. Hey, what about some brands that, that you guys take inspiration from? So either inside or outside the industry, uh, what brands do you like? Why do you like them? Mm. Tell me more. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I think businesses that have... Uh, set up an epic culture within the business. So I think um, an example of that is Canva. 
like you look, you talk to anyone who works at Canva, they just love the company. It's almost cult-like. Um, I hope I don't get cancelled for saying that, but it's it's um, they just love it so much. So like props to that team for setting up such an amazing culture there, but also just how they treat their product. You can go on, you can use Canva's product um, with no training. It's so easy to use. And that's something that we are trying to emulate uh, at Build Pass as well. Well, I read a book, Is it? I think it was called Insanely Simple. Mm. And that was like just distilling things down to just the simple form. Like making simple is hard, isn't it? Like, like the back end and making things where it's like putting yourself in other people's perspectives. I think like it's really important. It's uh, it's about uh, perspective, putting yourself in other people's shoes and trying to, you know, construct what you want, you know, construct strategy. Because the people you're building stuff for, like they really, like if it doesn't work, they're definitely not fucking using it. Let's yep. be real. Yep, exactly. And but you're so right about the comment about simplicity. It is very hard to design for simple. And so I think from a strategic point of view, it's a lot easier to sell a simple product to smaller organizations and then expand into larger organizations by adding features than it is to start in the large enterprise space and then going, okay, let's now build a simple product for the smaller space. And so that's, um, I mean, that's, I'm not reinventing any wheels by saying that that's pretty common knowledge. That's a, a path that businesses take, but it's some, one that we've followed in our first customers were SME, smaller builders using the simple product. Um, and now we've got much larger customers than that who come with all of their own requirements, but adding features into a nice product is a lot easier than stripping back a complicated product and trying to make it simple. Take us back to what you had the idea for Build Pass. Were, were there any other ideas floating around in your head, different business models on what you wanted to do with the next chapter of your life? Yeah, there was too many. You just have to ask my wife how much I annoyed her on our walks in COVID. Like, what about this or what about that? Um, oh, God, I can't even remember. I, I got banned, Matt. I, I had time. You're like, I like this. I want to do it. My, huh? wife, my wife yeah. is the same. She's like, I just can't listen to you anymore. So, yeah. <laughs> Make something happen or shut the fuck up. Shut up or we're getting a divorce. She didn't say She loves me, I think. I don't know. She's listening. That's not what she tells me. Yeah, no, too many ideas it gets. But I think think it's positive to have um, that mentality to things and always open to new ideas. You know, you've got to uh, pick and choose what you actually do do. You obviously can't go and pursue everything. But I think having that mentality is really important. Just uh, always be creative and getting yourself in an environment where you are creative. As we mentioned a few times on this episode, like being a founder and doing this stuff, it all it all comes with uh, there's a bit of hardness in there. And the question we ask all, yeah. we, we we ask all our guests is, what do you turn to when you're looking to get some energy back in your life? Yeah, it's very simple for me. Um, it's sleep and exercise. Um, so I think when you get run down, like what I what I'll t- typically do is I'll work really hard. I'll get a bit run down. I'll crash. I'll realize what I've done. Um, and then you get back into more sleep, resetting, resetting your routines, getting up, doing exercise and trying to stick to them. I'm still working out how to stick to them when you've got something important and it's 5 a.m. You get up and you think about going for a run. And instead, you start doing your emails. You know it's going to be the bad decision, but um, sometimes you kind of just have to do it. But yeah, it's very simple for me. It's uh, making sure I get enough sleep and exercise those you know endorphins uh like nothing else like you have you have an interesting take on this is like a lot of people we've talked to most founders who are trying to build something pretty special regardless of the energy back question that we ask 
have all either got to burnout stage or pushed themselves too far or realising like, how far they can sort of push it because they don't want to stop because you've got this wave of momentum and it, and it takes time and it takes a lot of failures to get some momentum. In the and first the, and there's trade-offs with life and doing things. And we talk about, say, like an athletes, for example, if people are, uh, we use this as an example for people to understand that not, not everyone we talk to in our world understands like friends and family. They talk, talk about startups and they don't, they look at you and their eyes glaze over and they don't really know what you're doing. But if you were a professional sports person and said, oh, I can't make it to this thing because we've got training and there's the game tomorrow, they go, oh, no stress. You know, you, you plan it up for the big game. But if yeah. you said, hey, I've got six hours of meetings back to back with different things and customer things. We've got product feature requests coming through the years. I've got so much stuff to do now. I'm not coming. And that's just Saturday. Yeah. You know, it's yeah. like people look at you differently. So have you experienced any of those trade-offs like of understanding of like friends and relationships around you as you're building something? A hundred percent. It is so true. Like um, if you're, you know, out at a party on the weekend or something and people ask, what, what did you do that day and what are you doing tomorrow? Um, and you say I'm working, the response will be, oh, you've got to work on the weekend. Oh, that sucks. But it's like, no, that's that's the norm. Like that is what we're doing here. Um, so absolutely you got to, you know, give th- some things up. Um, I think that I have tried to do a pretty good job of still getting to events, even if you go um, see your mates for dinner quickly and go home. So I think that is really important to keep that in your life. But yeah, absolutely. It's hard to explain to people they look at you like you're crazy um because you know work can just be considered a chore that you do monday to friday nine to five and then then you can have fun outside of that um but again being very cliche if what you're doing is really exciting and it's motivating you then going down and sitting and doing emails on a sunday that gives me energy like knowing that my week is set up and that i'm getting through some of the smaller things that were going to stress me out this week that hadn't been done, doing that on a Sunday, that actually gives me energy. So um, it's, yeah, when people say, you know, that's not good or you might you might burn out, that's absolutely true. you got to be careful of your energy, but people have different ways of managing that. And if going and doing some work on the weekend or early before work is the thing that gives you energy, then I think that's a perfectly reasonable thing to do. There's nothing better than the feeling of the to-do list just getting ticked off the night before that you're meant to do it the next day. Like, yeah. There's nothing better than no, that. You're not lying awake asleep going, fuck, I wish I had done that, or I'd better not forget to do this. I was like, I've already done that. I'm starting tomorrow. I might, I might have a, an extra coffee and take f- five more minutes for myself <laughs> in the morning. Yeah. No stress. Yeah, no, it is It is really good. And, um, yeah, I think that is similar to doing exercise, ticking off to-do lists. That, you're, you're right. That does make me sleep better at night so yeah 100 percent. what about responsibilities and stuff like like you mentioned like sleep yeah how important it is but when you've got staff and when you've got other responsibilities you've got investment you've got all these other things it it is important to make sure that you are getting that sort of stuff did you ever did you have any problems with that where you weren't sleeping or anything like that yeah for sure i probably went through uh a stage where every second night i struggled to sleep where you're thinking about you know raising capital which we've which we've done um and you know that certainly has its challenges when you see competitors doing things when you you know had issues with customers especially in the early days when i tended to take things a little bit personally like if someone said no they didn't sign up it was like a personal um <laughs> something i took really personally so i think you kind of learn to ride in between the highs and the lows a little bit 
become a little bit less sensitive to them um, and get back to routine. Um, but yeah, absolutely. It, it certainly is difficult to manage everything. And sometimes when you do have those responsibilities, like you mentioned, say investors, you've got an investment a report to get out and you haven't done it, uh, you just need to do it. You need to knuckle down and do it and recover on the sleep or whatever it is later. Some of the stuff I feel is like that, whether it's like dopamine or adrenaline or like whatever the stuff that's pumping, right? Because I'm sure that your days are a bit the same. You're, you're going from one thing to the other and you're trying to like appreciate you like coming onto this. you got other shit on for the rest of the day. You've been present with us. You're trying to give, 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 give. I find at the end of the day like this, if we're like stacking them up or in a really busy period, you get to the end of the day. And even if I'm trying to fall asleep, it's almost like that feeling like you've been to like a music concert or something like that, where it's like, the I'm senses all, are overloaded. The senses have yeah. been overloaded. I'm all hopped mm. up and shit. It's not like I can just turn the lights off and put my head down and I'm asleep now. You know what I mean? Like, all right, cool. That's the end of the day. See you tomorrow. Yeah. It doesn't work like that. No, it doesn't. And especially if you are, you know, up till 11 p.m. or something, uh, if you keep going, you're at your computer, you get down and, and you just, you're razzled. Um, so, yeah, look, I think having those wind-down routines is really good. But also, yeah, limiting your day to be a little bit more realistic. Um, like I've noticed recently I've been doing more travel and because you want to save every dollar in a in a startup, um, if I'm traveling somewhere, I want to like fill my schedule. Like I want to be meeting new customers and current customers and, you know, investors, you know, every, all the time. But what I've learned is doing that is actually it's can detract from uh, the whole trip because you don't have enough time to process between meetings. You forget to follow up. You're letting things slide from what your responsibilities are just with the normal business. So um, I think it can sometimes be around changing the mindset around being busy isn't always the best approach. You want to be effective. And if being effective means taking three meetings in a day while you're traveling instead of eight, then that is a better use of your money and your time. We were we were having the exact same convos over the last couple of weeks when we're going up to Sydney with with a party that we're going to be throwing. It's like, how busy do we want to be? Like we we're coming up, we can't we don't really come up that often. So it's like, do we pack it out? And we was having the same thing. I wouldn't mind just going for a walk around the park or observing some sort of differences. Like we're here for a reason. It's like I I feel inspired. It's like funny when you when you're in the shower, or you're going for a walk, or when the mind's just a bit quiet and processing different ideas. Because I don't think like if you got back to backs to back, you're not really thinking about it are you you're just going off notes and then just playing catch up when you're there and it's like it's not intentional yeah and it's like what i noticed as well i would say i planned all these site visits with customers and i get there and i just start having a conversation with them i'm looking at my watch going shit i need to leave in 10 minutes and you're not there you're not present so um yeah absolutely i think leaving some buffer time just to let the serendipitous moments happen um so you're not stressed about travel times you've got time to think is really important and that's been a, a, a shift in my framing personally um sounds like you guys are the same i surely that lucky that if you meet with the customers that they're using your products so when you're signing in as a visitor on site and there's no site inductions you're just getting that done seamlessly yeah so 10, <laughs> 10 minutes you've already had time to use your product and, and and talk about what they had for dinner last night yeah yeah that's it Hey, well, hey, we're halfway through the year. What are you excited about for the rest of the year? What can we expect to see from you and the team? Yeah, so we are basically, we're hiring at the moment, which is which is really cool. Um, hiring for some sort of support type roles um, here, which is great. We've got some big 
uh, feature releases coming out for the enterprise space. So like more customizability um, and got some, some really exciting uh, customers hopefully coming on in the pipeline. So a few big announcements there, but yeah, I think it's really just doubling down on what we're doing um, and kind of on the same theme of what we're talking about, just setting up more systems within the business to make it sustainable. Um, you know, we had our, our best month last month and things are really uh, feeling a lot more stable and we're try trying to plan, you know, what does five years look like for Build Pass instead of just, you know, looking at next month. Sounds like you're in a good space, man. Can't wait to follow along and, and see the journey. It's been fucking awesome chatting and we can't wait to drop this one. Eh? Yeah, thanks so much for coming on and chat with us. No worries, guys. Thanks for having me. Matt, what a fucking legend. I love this guy. Uh, if you want to follow along on his journey, make sure you hit the link in the description uh, and follow along on what he's doing and what he's building at Build Pass because it's awesome. Uh, if you want to stay up to date with all things funny business and Dream Big Social Club, Make sure you follow us on uh, Instagram, uh, Threads now, TikTok, LinkedIn, all the good stuff. Uh, we'll see you soon.